0: Central Vineyard, we just finished a long series entitled Strong Souls for Trying Times and I encourage you guys to go back if you haven't seen all those or listen to all those to give them a listen or a watch. Also uh, the book that we really interacted with for virtually every service was Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership by Ruth Haley Barton and I just want to say Ruth has been uh, Interviewed on a number of podcasts. She's got a number of her talks and lectures on YouTube. It wouldn't be hard to just tune in and hear some of what she has to say. I strongly recommend reading her book, Sacred Rhythms. This is someone that gets the heartbeat of just growing to be like Jesus by practicing his presence. So, Ruth Haley Barton, Strong Souls for Trying Times. And, uh, it's uh, Today was a sunny day, albeit very cold, and uh, as we're uh, putting this together, I've uh, just been really encouraged. Uh, next week, actually next Wednesday, which will be our Ash Wednesday service, begins the celebration of Lent, or more so the observance of Lent. Lent is the 40 days before Easter, in which we uh, uh, kind of prepare our hearts to allow the new life that Christ offers to have a greater effect and guiding uh, force in our lives. So Lent is a solemn time. Uh, Typically people um, maybe abstain from certain things to make space for some spiritual practices in an effort not to punish ourselves or to just make ourselves miserable, but to make some mental and emotional and physical space to try on some new practices that might help us to have more resilient souls that are in greater relationship with Christ. So the beginning of Lent is Ash Wednesday. Some people call Ash Wednesday the what's that dirt on your forehead Wednesday. And growing up in a more Protestant church, Younger, I remember going to work and actually asking someone that question. What's that crap on your forehead? It looks like a bird hit you. And I got told off. And that was uh, pretty embarrassing. But uh, actually, it's a time where we, we have a service where uh, of prayer and meditation where we get to uh, be marked with the ashes in the form of the cross that kind of enter into land. It's it's a very old observance. So we'll talk more about the history of it during the service. But that's going to be at 7 o'clock p.m. on Ash Wednesday, we will have a Zoom link on our Facebook page. Um, We also have Zoom links in uh, today's uh, service. I've got some links for you to write down. So whether it's Facebook, an email that goes out, or you can write down the URL now, that will take you to Zoom. So make sure, if you haven't installed Zoom, we're gonna have a lot of church events that are specifically hosted over Zoom. If you don't have a computer, which if you're watching this, you probably do, but if you don't, we'll get you one. If you're in our parish, you don't have a computer that you can use for Zoom, someone's got an extra computer in their basement that we can load up. Uh, if you don't know how to use Zoom or don't know how to install stuff, we've got people that can help you with that as well, walk you through that. But install Zoom, and maybe in a dry run, if you haven't joined us on Zoom before, join us after the service for a little meet and greet and some prayer as well. Uh, I think those are some of the best parts of our week when we get to see each other face-to-face, albeit a computer screen. Uh, When the weather warms up a little more, I'm looking forward to some outdoor services with you guys. Um, Ash Wednesday, though, typically what we do is we have ashes at the service, but you're observing Ash Wednesday probably in your living room or wherever, your uh, your TV or your iPad, gathered with your family, so I took a brief moment to record how you can go about getting some ashes. Well, welcome, Uh, Ash Wednesday's coming up and I need some ashes. And traditionally we burn last year's palm leaves for our corporate Ash Wednesday service. But since we will not be gathering together, I need some ashes for my family. And so I decided to safely create some of my own ashes. I've got uh, water here. I've got a pan with a long handle here and here is an old bank statement I was gonna shred. So I'm just gonna stick that there, put that in the pan, hold it directly, hold it directly above the chimney. Let that burn. There it goes. Oh, I might even get another one in there. Let's try this. Let it burn. And this is kind of like when we celebrate communion. We just make do with the beverages and crackers that we have available and adapt and just uh, celebrate the spirit of things so this is going to be uh, our household's ashes for ash wednesday it's just about finished just about finished there there we go there it is i'm just gonna put it over the water thing and then put my safety screen there now this is only something parents are allowed to do and probably should use it outside but it's really cold out there so there we've got the canal family ashes for ash wednesday uh hope that works for you all right so i hope i don't get in trouble with any parents there I'm modeling bad behavior for your kids but uh When I was a kid, we used to roast popcorn over the fire. Don't know if they still do that with Jiffy Pop. I think all popcorn's done through the microwave now. But having finished that series, Strong Souls for Trying Times, we're beginning a new series for Lent called Revitalize. And in a way, this is uh, celebrating the idea of new beginnings, new strengthening, new learning in a year of so much newness. Uh, The pandemic is not over, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And just in this time, I believe God has given a lot of us vision for a deeper engagement with his kingdom. So this series called Revitalize, um, you know, after 2-2020, the new beginnings, we get to unite around a shared revitalization journey. And it's going to be four themes we're circling around. I'll just give you a preview, and then we'll get to this week's sermon. First, we're going to talk about story saturating. What does it mean to... Fill ourselves so much with the story and teachings of Christ that it crowds out a lot of negative stuff in our lives. And then we're going to focus on the acceptance and intimacy that we get to personally experience and pass on to others by understanding we're unconditionally loved. We can never top out on understanding how loved we are. And the more love we experience, the more love we have to give. And then the third part is being empowered to love everyone enemies included. Uh, this idea of loving our enemies. If we love our enemies, how much more can we love those close to us? And a lot of times I've personally shied away from even thinking of people's enemies, but my heart has kind of changed on that. And uh, the resounding course in my head has been the quality of your faith is the love of your enemies. And I think God wants to invite us as a congregation to really uh, revitalize our love for our enemies. And four is empathy and action, wholly engaging suffering and injustice. And we're gonna have some opportunities as a congregation to specifically discuss where God might be calling us to engage suffering as well as speak truth about injustice and engage injustice. This will be a real kind of a, trying to move past our comfort zone. So revitalize starting next week. All right, so uh, this is kind of what we call done in one, one week between services, where uh, we have an opportunity to just uh, remind ourselves of one thing, and actually I'm going back to a book that we've hit so many times as a church in Central Vineyard. Uh, It's always new for someone because someone new has joined us, but uh, I, I don't, I've lost count of how many times I've preached a sermon from Philippians since 2004, but this is Philippians 4, 4 through 9, one of my dozens of favorite chapters in the Bible or passages, and I want to say a prayer and I want to read it to you and just share a brief reflection on that that I think can really carry us through this week as we uh, prepare for Lent. So Father God, I ask you to bless the reading of your word. So, uh, Philippians 4, 4-9, through 9, I'll read it right here. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In the peace of God, with, which transcends all understanding, will be with you. Wow, how many verses was that? That was uh, four four through, nine. wow, that was like five verses, but this is like a sponge that you can never wring all the living water out of. This uh, verse is pretty awe-inspiring, especially that phrase to me is rejoice always, a person who struggles with kind of cycles of depression. And the other thing that's uh, is be anxious about nothing. When I hear that, my temptation is to be anxious about being too anxious. So, but the great thing about this passage, it's not merely telling us what to aspire to, but it also has some major clues into the clues. It clues into the practices that can help us to rejoice in God, number one, that also can help us uh, to uh, be anxious for nothing and to experience the true peace that God offers. And maybe this is a fitting coda to Strong Souls for Trying Times because so much of that was about practices that make room for God in our lives. So um, core to my philosophy of how humans grow and how humans change is that we allow the good to crowd out the bad. And what I mean by that is if we just try to remedy every issue in our life by focusing 100% on that one issue, have you ever been at an arcade or something, do they still have those, where you play whack-a-mole? Have you ever seen that, where you have this mallet and you have these moles and you pop one down, the other one pops up and you pop that down. In whack-a-mole, the idea is how many of these moles can you to earn tickets to redeem for a prize. And inevitably, no one can hit all the moles because they come up so fast. And I think that's a lot of the ways that people deal with sin. And it it produces this frenzy in our minds and this anxiety that we're hopeless, that we can't change, that we're just on this cycle, never-ending cycle of sin, and we'll never get it out, and we're just not good enough. And I believe true spiritual growth and true human development is a much more compassionate, life-giving, and inspiring process. And it's described in here, and that is kind of fill yourself with the good stuff until it crowds out the bad stuff. And it says this, uh, rejoice, and then the fruit of rejoicing is gentleness. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And when I see protests, sometimes armed protests, or people that want to take America back for righteousness or some uh, malarkey like that, you know, any kind of, you know, we've had stadium rallies of people trying, uh, desiring to fire up their Christian faith. But there's a concept that doesn't often appear in tandem with uh, American Christendom's view of spiritual renewal. And that concept is gentleness, the idea that when we're filled with true power and courage, the more gentle we'll become. And that actually aggression is a sign of cowardice. That aggression is a sign of insecurity. That aggression is just the outward manifestation of fear. And actually gentleness is a manifestation of true maturity and power. What about this idea that the more people were worried about the state of our country, or the government, or Congress, what if, what if instead of storming the Capitol, people that thought there needed to be a change or wanted, I mean, all of us wanna see something change, let's be honest, all of us have something about the way our country works that we hate, and we wanna see changed. I've got a very long list. What if we, the idea that we can surround is the community of God, manifestations of these issues with the powerful, insurmountable, gentle, rejoicing presence of God. Because I think there is an allure to the gentleness of Christ. Broken, sinful, scandalous people were so not afraid of Jesus that they sought them out. You know, the people who, the more screwed up you were, the more you would take risks to be with Jesus. So there was some kind of alluring gentleness that attracted the most broken people to him. And that is the power of the gospel, not violence. Not violence is a manifestation of cowardice. And I I was grieved when I watched the footage of the folks who broke into the White House. Uh, What I saw there was the deadly power, the deadly power of communal fear. And any of us who identify with Christ are on the other side of that battle. We are united about love and fear by love, gentleness and fearlessness. Fear is the unifier of the devil. So this idea of rejoicing in gentleness, the Lord is near. And I don't think he's saying that the Lord is going to come back immediately here. I think the idea is the Lord, is always near to us if we make space to Him. Uh, This idea that God is, when I feel that God is distance, more often than not, it's because I've been overwhelmed with the crazy and the trauma of a time to slow down, to enjoy His presence. But if we meditate on the nearness of God, I mean, if we meditate on the nearness of God, if we make space, if we take time for solitude, if we take time to disconnect from the busy, we eventually have that awareness of God, that still small voice that empowers the courageous, rebellious act of gentleness and joy. And uh, this goes on in this passage, this hugely pregnant passage with quintuplets being birthed out of it. Um, Do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request with God. When I think about anxiety, a lot of times I think about this uh, word in our current vernacular, triggering. The idea, when I think of anxiety, I think of a reminder of a traumatic thing in my past comes up or a chronic fear I have. And when that reminder appears, my um, amygdala gets activated and either I start breathing differently, my heart starts pounding, or I have a sick feeling in my gut. Usually it's, When I feel anxiety, it's in my respiratory system. Even if I have a certain memory of certain people, I immediately can tell by the way I'm breathing. It's just scary. So when I think of anxiety, I think of being triggered into an action or that there are certain pre-programmed responses of trauma in my life that I shift into autopilot when I'm anxious and when I see the way this passage is structured, I really, I think we can see the brilliance of Paul in that there can we can train our reflexes to respond differently. And this is a lifetime development. That idea is what if we continually plan to go to prayer as our response to being triggered? What if every time when you know that if you whether you manifest anxiety in your breathing in a pounding heart in, in your belly in your guts when you learn what is your one or all of the above anxiety response we can actually train that to be going into prayer and this does not happen over the night this does not happen by trying harder this happens by the mundane, routine practice of repeated habit. Well, I took a deep breath. Just talking about anxiety sometimes makes me anxious. But what I do is, uh, over the time, uh, at different periods of my life, there's different people or places I've associated with deep pain. And as I would encounter things that would bring up the memory, I've all, in sixth grade there was an adult who specifically physically and emotionally abused me on a regular basis. My parents weren't aware of it. There are certain uh, mannerisms of this adult that I would sometimes see manifest in people and immediately I'd feel like that helpless sixth grader who was expecting to be pushed down the stairs or called vulgar names. Uh, And uh, what I found is I started identifying that it's actually a repeated theme so I'm going to pray I'm going to pray ask God for his help and ask God uh, and thank God for the healing I've already encountered and uh, this happened this is one of the this is one of the uh, several turning points in my life this was 2003 that this happened every time I would think of this person I started praying. And eventually, and when I wasn't thinking about this person, I spent a lot of time meditating on my desire to pray when I get triggered. And all that time of kind of imagining and walking through my head these scenarios where I'm triggered, I'd imagine the triggering ceremony, uh, triggering situation, and then I would imagine myself praying. And what happened is when I am actually 100% responding on reflex. When I was triggered, I started going into prayer. And uh, it happened reflexively, eventually. After, I think it was uh, several months of that, I was woken up with a dream. And when I'm woken up with a dream, usually nowadays at age 49, I'm woken up because I need to visit the little boy's room several times a night. But when I was woken up, 15 years ago, it was very significant. And the significant was I remembered this dream, I don't remember dreams. But the dream was I was in this little set that was kind of a room that was all dark, all black with two spotlights going down and I'm in a chair as a little sixth grader and this towering, abusive, uh, intimidated man was over me and he was spewing all this religious crap on me, judging all my interests. Like, as a young kid, I was really uh, into science fiction, into role-playing gaming, into all kinds of fringe stuff that didn't really fit within uh, conservative American evangelicalism. And this person was using scripture to beat on me. Of course, he never used it in context. And so I'm here, the little boy's there, but adult me is with little person me and I'm just holding myself comforting by the shoulders. And my adult me felt the presence of Jesus with me. All right? And what happened is the younger me in this dream I had, every time this person uh, would say an abusive thing, I would respond, well, Jesus says fill in the blank. And I don't know how long, you know, dream time, how long this conversation went, but very eloquently, And winsomely and passionately, my sixth grade self was able to stand up to this person and say, that's not what Jesus says about me. And after that point, my uh, ability to be intimidated by uh, certain kinds of bullies almost was completely taken away. In fact, there was a certain archetype of person that no longer frightened me. And what that meant was people that seemed like this abusive person in my life that weren't abusers but maybe that I would transfer my anxiety about this abusive man onto a person who maybe had the same accent they had, I was freed to not judge them, to not fear them and instead be kind to them. And so there was a tremendous change in how I experienced the world based on using triggers Is prayer prompts using triggers as prayer prompts and that's what I think we can as a congregation there are people with certain political views that you will be triggered by there are people with certain ways of expressing their faith or people who will describe Christianity in ways that are abhorrent to you and those will trigger you one thing I found is I would be when I would hear someone spew religious garbage in the name of Jesus. I used to feel very lonely because I felt like I have no home in the American church. I, you know, I'm just the loser. I'm the island of misfit toys. I don't belong here. And I'll tell you, in coming to the Vineyard, I part of the, the big thing that changed with me about joining the Vineyard churches, and this is true about so many churches now, is there wasn't this emphasis about God and country. There was this emphasis on the kingdom of God. And instead of this idea that America is this great white hope of Christian goodness and we're gonna fix the world, we had an idea that we can partner with our brothers and sisters in other nations to do kingdom work cross-culturally around the world. So it was a lateral partnership where we all worship the same uh, King, not this colonialism of white so-called Jesus people that go in and fix up Africa. It was about collegiate relationships, peer-to-peer, all in worship the same God, where we're going to be schooled by our friends in Cambodia or Africa or uh, Vietnam. We're going to be schooled by our colleagues overseas and we get to serve them. And this idea of the kingdom of God gave me a view of Christianity that so much stood in opposition to bullying in the name of Jesus. While people think they're serving Jesus, that but they're serving a vengeful, tribal deity of nationalism. And I was exposed. I'm not saying anyone, these people aren't going to go to heaven or anything like that. You know, I don't know. It's above my pay grade what's going on in people's hearts. I'm not judging that. What I can evaluate, I can't judge someone's heart, but I'm gonna naturally evaluate, if I'm story-saturating in the story of Jesus, if I'm reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over again, if I'm binge-watching The Chosen on an app, if I'm just getting familiar with the person of Jesus, then I'm reflexively gonna say, that ain't Jesus, to borrow a quote from Doug Buckley. Whenever Doug would see something that was crazy done, someone's doing something crazy, he would just go, that ain't Jesus. And it was just such a kind way to call out bad behavior. But uh, you'll find yourself, as I ceased to identify with the American church, I just identified with the church, which is a global multi-ethnic group of wounded healers who love their enemies. And so when I see people doing acts of violence and having some affiliation they think with Christ or someone who advocates violence that says, well, I was a Sunday school teacher at this mega church's church. You know, I, I went to Andy Stanley's church and I was a Sunday school teacher and I really know Jesus, but I advocate violence. You know, I, I, don't, I don't care where they taught Sunday school. I mean, they could have they taught people how to play Magic the Gathering for all I care. I don't care. I care, is your behavior sound like the Jesus I've been getting to know every day? The answer is no. So one way, another cause of anxiety is just feeling like an outcast from American Christendom. And I said, I want to always not fit in within any kind of nationalistic uh, or culture-specific manifestation of faith. Any faith, I any manifestation of faith, for me has to have. Express the multicultural, multi-ethnic, self-sacrificing love of Jesus. So I feel like I've been kind of immunized against this crazy stuff I've seen in my own backyard. And uh, this happens in other countries. I'm just an expert. I've been studying for 49 years how to live in America. So I can only speak about my backyard. Um, but this, um, Paul says then, In the peace of God with transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus. It doesn't say the peace is gonna be there at the beginning. It doesn't say that we're people that live in a perpetual state of peace. The idea and the peace of God with transcends all understanding will guard your hearts. What that's saying is when your peace is disrupted by anxiety, you can be put back on track by training your brain to engage in prayer, to engage in the story of Jesus, and engage in thanking Jesus for the good things, because the more we meditate on the good things God has given us, I I have a perfect memory for trauma, and I have a dim memory for good things. I I, I have an easier time remembering bad things that happened in my childhood than the umpteen billion good things that happened to me. I my fifth birthday party, I've tried to recreate this in my mind. I have dim memories of all my favorite birthdays, but I can remember being pushed down the stairs in sixth grade, with, like it's a movie. So to counteract that broken part of our brains, that practice of thank, thanksgiving prayer for me is visualizing ways God has comforted me and encouraged me in recreating them in my head. What that's meant now is I'm really just missing my dad. Is I call his voicemail just to hear his voice. I've been watching videos I have. And I've been meditating on pictures of my dad, like they're icons. I'm wearing an old shirt of his. I got an old hat of his. I, uh, you know, the last, uh, you know, the last uh, couple months of my dad's life, uh, we got him a baby Yoda comforter and pillow because he always loved cuddly blankets, and because of every single one of his children and grandchildren were big fans of the Mandalorian. We thought it would be a kick that every time he was FaceTiming that he was cuddling a Yoda pillow, well, or Grogu. And that pillow and blanket began to smell like my dad. And I found like literally when I was feeling just so much anxiety of missing my dad, I would just take that and smell because it still had the stink of my dad on it. And that was like almost a scented Thanksgiving. And I found that the healing Idea of when we're triggered, prayers of thanksgiving will begin to heal our brain. I'm just the beginning of that journey. You know, uh, one thing is, um, in the past, I've let anxiety keep me from grieving. I've let worrying about when my mom died. I was so worried about everyone else that I never, I didn't get to really experience what was going on. I had so many strategic things I was thinking about. I, we, we, we didn't have an open casket viewing or anything of my dad, and I praise God for that. That's really helpful for some people. But for someone like me, if we had an open casket viewing for my dad, which we, he was cremated, we didn't have anything like that. If we had that, I would be worried that everyone was being taken care of and was being entertained and that everyone met everyone else and no one felt left out instead of actually mourning my dad. So something that's been comforting me is I just conjure up images and memories of these good times I had with my dad. And oh God, I thank God that we all have smartphones because we took pictures and pictures and pictures of my dad and us. And uh, I just wanna encourage you guys is we're in a fraught world. We're diving deep next week into a revitalization journey, guys. We're diving deep. Starting with Ash Wednesday, you all must join us. You all must join us, and I believe uh, we are heading into the best season that our church has ever experienced. I I am so appreciative of all the good things God has done in the past. I really do, but I'm not nostalgic. I think those of you who have been gathering with us online over this COVID crisis, there is some way, even if you're far away, that God is going to unify us and give us an opportunity To engage and and live this revitalization and, and basically become that alluring presence of gentleness that Jesus exuded.